contrast and you'll feel you'll find that this uh, there's quite a bit of difference one through six is historical one through six historical except for Daniel chapter 2 which deals with the prophecy of the Gentile world nations Daniel 1 we had Daniel going to Babylon Daniel 2 the prophecy of the great image Daniel chapter 3 the fiery furnace Daniel chapter 4 the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar Daniel chapter 5 the fall of Babylon and Daniel chapter 6 Daniel in the lion's den now that's historical now we come to Daniel 7 through 12 and these are four visions Daniel 7 is the first vision Daniel 8 is the second vision Daniel 9 is the third vision and Daniel 10 11 and 12 is the fourth vision Daniel 10 11 and 12 constitute one vision now let's look at Daniel chapter 7 Daniel dates his prophecies his visions in the first verse of each one of these sections Daniel chapter 7 verse 1 what was the year that Daniel received this vision first year of Belshazzar now what was the first year of Belshazzar remember what that was 553 uh, Nabonidus began reigning in 555 BC and in 553 he made his son Belshazzar co-regent so the first year of Belshazzar is 553 that means that Daniel chapter 7 takes place before Daniel chapter 6 Daniel 6 has took place in in um, in uh, in the days of Darius and that was a 538 537 BC Daniel chapter 7 takes place in 553 BC so there's the first vision 553 BC see Daniel groups groups the his book according to the uh, material the history in 1 to 6 and prophecies in 7 through 12 so the first vision Daniel chapter 7 verse 1 5 5 3 B C look at verse 2 Daniel spoke and said I saw in my vision by night behold the four winds of the heaven so here's the first vision Daniel's vision of the four beasts Daniel 7 given in 553 BC now look at Daniel chapter 8 verse 1 Daniel chapter 8 verse 1 there's a second vision now what year is that third year that'd be 551 BC in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar a vision appeared unto Daniel so there's the second vision in this section now let's go over to Daniel chapter 9 verse 1 Daniel chapter 9 verse 1 we have the third vision and uh, we find in Daniel 1 in the first year of Darius the son of Hazareus the seed of the Medes who was made king over the realm the Chaldeans well that took place did it not the same year that Daniel 6 did so this is about 538 BC 538 BC that's the third vision and then we go on over 539 538 BC we go on and over to Daniel chapter 10 and uh, we find in Daniel chapter 10 is fourth vision and that's in the third year of Cyrus king of Persia that thing was revealed unto Daniel so that's 538 539 BC that's uh, uh, well a third year pardon me that's 536 Cyrus began 539 third year would be 536 BC Daniel 10 11 12 all goes together so what do we have Daniel 7 553 Daniel 8 551 Daniel 9 
in 539 or 538, and Daniel 10, 11, and 12 in 536 B.C. Now, today, we, I, we're going to cover Daniel 7, hopefully, and then we're going to take up Daniel 8, and then we're going to take up Daniel 9, Daniel 8 and Daniel 9, and perhaps we may have to take twice on Daniel 7. It's a hard prophecy. It's difficult. I want to get up before I go to India. I want to get up through Daniel chapter 9, and then Mr. Davidson is going to teach this course for the three or four Fridays that I'm gone, and he's going to take up Daniel 10, 11, and 12, and he's going to correct all the wrong things that I've been saying. See? Well, you'll like him. He's taught it, Daniel, many, many times, taught it longer than I have, and you'll enjoy him. Now let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Here's the first one, the prophecy of the four beasts, Daniel chapter 7. Let's begin in Daniel 7 and read about the first five, six verses. In the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, 553 B.C., Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. And Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night. Behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, different from one another. Verse 4, the first was like a lion. Verse 4, behold, another beast, a second like a bear. Verse 6, the third beast, behold, a low another like a leopard. And verse 7, the fourth beast, what's often called an indescribable beast, the nondescript beast. He's not named. And I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. And so uh, there's no name given to this, uh, to this beast. Now here's probably uh, the most detailed and comprehensive prophecy in the Bible of future events. May I say that again? Here in Daniel chapter 7, we have probably the most detailed and comprehensive prophecy of future events. Now, what chapter is this going to be parallel with? Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, we have the, uh, the uh, parable of the image, uh, the great man. Daniel chapter 7, it's the four beasts. It's Daniel chapter 2, uh, and both cover the same time. Both cover what is called the period of Gentile world history, the dominance of Palestine by Gentile world power. And both cover the same time. But in Daniel chapter 2, it's in the picture of a great image, the image of a great man. That's the perspective of man. That's how men look upon these four great world empires. A great image. Daniel chapter 7, we have the same period of time the same four empires covered by a image, only this time it's four ravenous beasts. That gives us a picture of how God looks on these world empires. So when we study Daniel chapter 7, we need to go back and look also at Daniel chapter 2 because Daniel 2 throws light on Daniel 7. Daniel 7 throws light on Daniel chapter 2. They covered the, four, the same period, four great world empires. What was the first one? What was it? How do we know? Because Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, Thou art the head of gold. You and your empire represent the head of gold. So he was the head of gold. And that's the first beast. The second empire from Daniel chapter 2 was uh, what? Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia. The third one was Greece. And the fourth one 
was the Roman Empire. Now, we know, look at Daniel chapter, there are a couple of keys to this chapter. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another. 1 to 15, we have the vision. Uh, 1 to 14, we have the vision. In 15 to 28, we have the interpretation. Now, we don't have to wonder what those four beasts are. Turn in, uh, to Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, and he interprets. In 15 through 28, we have interpretation. Verse 17, these great beasts, these four great beasts, who are four, which are four, are four what? Are probably ought to be kingdoms, are four kingdoms or empires that shall arise out of the earth. Now, there are two, um, uh, there are two um, main sections of this, uh, to this uh, uh, chapter, and there are two major approaches to the chapter. And I don't want to take long on this. There are two major views of this. The liberals, um, uh, the liberals look at it this way. Here's the prophecy. They have to deal with it. Uh, and uh, here are the... Uh, here are the four, one, two, three, four. Uh, gold, uh, silver, that's Daniel 2. Silver. Um, what's the next one? Bronze. And the last one is iron and iron feet of clay. All right. Now when we come to Daniel chapter 7, um, We have the same period covered, only we have something added to that. We have the first one is, uh, what's the first one? Lion. Number two is a bear. Number three is a leopard. And number four is the non-descript beast. Now, what we have added in number four, however, is something else. To that number four, we have added that out of this nondescript beast, out of its head, come up ten little horns, and that from the midst of these little horns comes up another little horn. That's added in Daniel chapter 7. Now, the conservatives um, say that the lion, all Bible believers, whether premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial, all Bible believers take the lion to be Babylon and take the bear to be Medo-Persia, and take the leopard to be Greece, and take the Roman, uh, take the uh, not iron to be Rome. Uh, the iron is the same as the nondescript. The bronze is the leopard. The silver is the bear, and the gold is the lion. All Bible believers, whatever may be their persuasion and prophecy, hold to that. Now, what the liberals do, because they don't believe in predictive prophecy. The liberals come down here and say that the first one is Babylon, the second one is Media, the third one is Persia, and the fourth one is Greece. And Greece started with Alexander the Great in 330 B.C., and somebody wrote the book of Daniel in 165 B.C. So all of this from the viewpoint of the man that wrote the book of Daniel, put Daniel's name to it, all of this was what? History or prophecy? 
history so they get away from predictive prophecy. And they take that third one, the, uh, they take that third one, which we believe, or the second one, which we believe to be Medo-Persia. They take uh, the bear and the silver to be Media, and they take the bronze and the leopard to be Persia, and they take the iron and the nondescript beast to be Rome. And the writer didn't write the book until 165 B.C. And the Grecian Empire began time of Alexander in 330 B.C. And so it's all history. There's no prophecy whatsoever in the book of Daniel. That's how they get around the predictive element. Now, that's the liberal approach. Their answers to that's been answered a hundred times. See, that's effectively answered. But you ought to know about it because somewhere down the line, you're going to read about that and may even crop up in your Sunday school literature. Now, all conservatives believe that these are four great world empires. And uh, uh, my conviction is that this, that when we come to the, when we come to the fourth beast, fourth beast, we have three stages. The, the, the beast itself, secondly, the ten horns, and then the one little horn. Ten horns come out of that Roman Empire, come out of the head of that beast representing the Roman Empire, just as there were ten toes. Ten contemporary kingdoms. That's never been found in history. We look for this to arise. This is what is called the revived Roman Empire or the United States of Europe or the Western Confederacy. It's given different names. Ten confederated kingdoms come out of that, of that beast and then out of that comes the little horn, which most people, even, uh, for example, Dr. Young, who is an all-millennialist, most people identify as the ant coming Antichrist. A uh, hundred years ago, he was identified by many people as the Pope, but that's not, that's not very popular. That, was, that view has held sway since the days of Martin Luther, that he represented the Pope. But most men today recognize that's not true. It's a political, not a religious thing. And, uh, and many men identified, all premillennialists identify this little horn as the, the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians 2, the beast out of the sea uh, in Revelation 13, and uh, the man whom we know as the Antichrist. So what we are saying is, and I'm just anticipating myself, that when we start here with Babylon, 605, Babylon, and second, Medo-Persia, 539 to 330, and third, Greece, Greece from 330 to, uh, what shall we say, uh, that date differs, and shall we say about 66 B.C., probably earlier than that, and then Rome, that this Roman Empire goes up until the time, you remember Daniel chapter 2? When the stone cut out without hands smote the image in its feet, and that stone cut out without hands, whom all conservatives recognize as Jesus Christ, that stone became a great what? Mountain and filled the whole earth. And that this empire is not finished until the stone cut out from the, without hands comes cataclysmically and destroys the kingdoms of this age and establishes his kingdom upon this earth, which means that this fourth empire is going to hold sway in one form or another until Jesus Christ returns. In Daniel 7, it's the, it's the kingdom of the Son of Man. Now, there are two major sections.
in Daniel chapter 7, two major sections. The first one is the vision, and the second one is the prophecy. I'm changing the outline a little different from what you got in your hand. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. We got the vision in verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14, we have the vision. In 15 to 28, we have the interpretation. Now read with me at verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. And uh, then a lot of people had their head troubled about this since that time. So he says in verse 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. What does this mean? So he told me, and he made me know, now what's the next two words? What is it in your Bible? I got that circle, see? the interpretation of these things. So in verses 1 to 14, you got the vision. And in verses 15 to 28, you got the interpretation. So that in the vision, you got a lot of symbols. What do you have? What's a symbol? Well, the leopard, that's a symbol. And the uh, bear, that's a symbol. And so we got these four beasts. That's the symbol. The beast is the symbol. But in 15 to 28, we have the interpretation of that symbol. What is that symbol in verse 17? What is it? What are those four beasts? Four kingdoms. See in verse, look at verse 3. Four great beasts. That's the symbol. That's the figure of speech. Four great beasts. In the interpretation, what is that symbol? Four great kingdoms. It's interpreted in verses 15 to 28. Look at verse 3. Four great beasts came up. How did, where'd they come from? That's, that's, the, that's the symbol. They came up out of the sea. Now look at verse, uh, uh, well, let's see now. Verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, four kings, who shall arise out of the what? So he got the symbol interpreted. They're not from heaven. They're from earth. And the sea is a picture of restless humanity. All right, now let's look up the first one, the vision of the five kingdoms, verses 1 to 14. The vision of the five kingdoms, chapter 7, 1 to 14. We have the setting in verse 1, and then we have the vision itself in 2 to 14. Two things, in other words. First, the vision in verse, uh, the setting, verse 1, and then the vision itself in 2 to 14. All right, let's look at the setting, verse 1. In the first year, Belshazzar, that's 553 B.C., First year, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, he was a co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spoke and said, I. You notice he switches now to I. In verse 1, it's he. Now, in verse 2, it's I. And from here on out, it's going to be I. So the date of it, he gives us the date. It's 553 B.C. He tells us what it's all about. It's a dream and vision. And then he tells us that he wrote it down so we would have it for posterity. Now, in verse 2 to 14, we got the vision. Daniel spoke and said, I saw. Look at verse 6. After this, I saw. Verse 7. After this, I saw. Verse 9. I beheld, or the same word, I saw. I kept looking. Verse 11, I saw, I kept looking. Verse 13, I saw in the night vision. So he's seeing this. 
What is this, therefore? So what? Vision. Vision. You see something in a vision, see? He's kind of in a trance. God gives him a vision of these four great beings. And he sees this. And at the same time that he sees the vision, God speaks to him in the ear. That's verses 1 to 14, the vision. Then in verse 15, he said, man, this, uh, what does this mean? I can't make any sense out of this thing. What does it mean? I suspect it means something like Daniel 2, says Daniel. But what does it mean? Beginning in verse 15, God then begins to interpret the vision. All right, now let's look at this vision. Daniel chapter uh, 7, verses 2 to 14. And uh, we got two things here primarily. In verses 2 to 8, we've got the vision of the four bees. And then in verses 9 through 14, we have the climax, the vision of the ancient of days and the destruction of the beast and the five kingdoms of the Son of Man. Now listen to the vision of the four beasts. Verse 2, Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night. Behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. Now what do the four winds of the great sea represent? Well, the great sea represents in the Bible, the sea is always a picture of restless humanity. Isaiah says three times in Isaiah, uh, the wicked are like the sea that casts up its mire. Restlessness. Matter of fact, Isaiah 40 to 66, 27 chapters, Isaiah 40 to 66 is divided into three sections, 40 to 47, 48 to, what would it be, 57, and 58 to 66, and each one of those three divisions is ended with this little statement. The wicked is as the restless sea. And the sea in the scripture represents restless humanity. And so what he's saying is that, that out of the restless humanity come these four great kingdoms. One was already present when Daniel wrote, the first one. And there are going to be three more. What are the four winds? Well, we don't know. I mean, the interpretation has got given to us. Probably the four winds represents the sovereign providential activity of God upon the nations, motivating them, prompting them, and moving them. And really, it's not necessary, germane to the interpretation, but that's perhaps what it may be. Now, verse 3, And four great beasts came up from the sea different from one another. Now, what are those four great beasts? Do you know what you need to write next, write to, write next to verse 3? You need to write next to it verse 17. Because verse 17 tells us what those four great beasts are. We don't have to fool around and imagine what they are, see? The Bible gives us the interpretation. Four great beasts. What does verse 17 say? These great beasts, which are four in number, are four what? Kingdoms. It ought to be kingdoms, kings. In the Old Testament days, in fact, it was all, Napoleon even asserted, a king was identified with the kingdom itself. He stood for the kingdom. So this is, king here is a kingdom. We know it is because verse 18, the saints of the Most High shall take the, what shall they take? The kingdom, see? So these four beasts represent four kingdoms. So we know what they are. So when we read that the first was like a lion, that lion's going to represent what? A well, it's going to represent a kingdom. What will the bear represent? 
A kingdom. What will the leopard represent? A kingdom. And what will the nondescript beast represent? A kingdom, see? Four great world empires that span all of human history from 605 B.C., the time of Babylon, until, until what time? Well, look at chapter 7, verse 13. What event do you have in chapter 7, verse 13? The coming of who? Son of man. That's the second coming of Christ. You say, well, maybe that's the first coming. No, no. Now look here. We know the coming of the Son of Man with power and glory, Daniel 7. We know that's the second coming, not the first, because at the trial of Jesus, they asked him, who are you? Who are you? Are you the Son of God? He said, you. The King James says that you say it. What he says there, you said it right. I am. Henceforth, Someday you shall see the coming, the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. They said, this man speaks blasphemy. Why did they say that? Because they knew, the Jews did, the Sanhedrin did, they knew that Jesus was claiming to be the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, 13, 12, 13, and 14. He had already come the first time. He said, someday you'll see the Son of Man coming. So these four, that's the second coming. These four kingdoms represent Gentile control, uh, Gentile power and control of Palestine until what event? Come on now, what event? Yeah, second coming of Christ. Babylon has come and gone. Medo-Persia, come and gone. Greece, come and gone. The Roman... Here, now subdued for 1,500 years, will be restored to strength, but in the form of 10 confederated kingdoms. Out of that one kingdom will come the little horn, the Antichrist, and he is eventually destroyed by the coming of the Son of Man, described in 2 Thessalonians 2, Matthew 24, and Revelation 19. Now let's look at the first beast. Number one, first beast, Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. The first beast is like a lion and had eagle's wings. Had like a lion, speaks of its majesty. Majesty. Had wings, speaks of the, its conquests. And I beheld till its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now, that's probably a reference to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. We know that this is Babylon. If you take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 2 to refresh our minds, let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Go back to Daniel 2, verse 36. Daniel chapter 2, verse 36, we have the same proposition. A few of us may not have been here. Verse 36, this is the dream, and we will tell its interpretation before the king. Thou, O king, memory saw that image. We won't go back over it again. Well, look at verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, said before thee. The form was terrible. The image's head, number one, was a fine gold. 
Number two, it's breasts and arms of silver. Number three, it's belly and its thighs of bronze. Number four, it's legs of iron, its feet part of iron, part of clay. Now, verse 36. Here's the interpretation. Verse 37. Thou, king, or king of kings, for the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. Wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heavens, hath he given to thy hand and hast made thee rule over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So we got the interpretation. Whom does the head of gold represent? Nebuchadnezzar and the empire that he ruled. What over what empire did he rule? Babylon. So the gold represents Babylon, and the lion is the same as the gold. And all, all, you know, even the liberals take that. That's obvious. The lion is the same as the gold. Then the lion represents Babylon. Babylon that reigned from 605 B.C. to 539. Babylon. All right, now let's look at number two. And after thee, verse 39, and after thee shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of bronze, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces, subdued all things, as iron that breaks all these, shall it break in pieces and, and crush. There's the fourth one. Now, who are those? Well, turn to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter... Not only does history confirm this, we know there's only one empire that followed Babylon, and that was Medo-Persia, and that Greece followed Medo-Persia, but we got the interpretation in the book itself. Daniel chapter 8. Daniel's in, in Babylon. He's living in the time of Babylon. In verse 19, he said, after the vision, in verses 1 through uh, 14, he gets the interpretation. And he says in verse 19, Behold, I'll make you know what shall be in the last and the indignation, for the time appointed then shall be. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, these are the kings of who? After Babylon, Medo, Persia. And the rough goat that follows that, follows, destroys the ram. The rough goat destroys the ram. That rough goat is the king of who? Greeks. They got the third one, Greeks. And the great horn that's between the eyes of the ram is the first king, Alexander the Great. So he got the three kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and the only other one that fits the bill, the fourth one, is Rome. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. See, in Daniel chapter 2, we have the gold head, the silver arms, the bronze belly and thigh on the iron legs. And in Daniel 7, we have the same thing, only this is man, how man looks at it, and this is how God looks at it. And in Daniel 7, we have the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the nondescript beast. All right, now let's look at the second one, Daniel chapter 7. The first one is the lion. Daniel chapter 7, verse 5, Behold a second beast, another beast, the second like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between its teeth. And they said thus unto it, Rise, devour, much flesh. Now this is Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia existed, was uh, in control from about 539 to about 330 B.C. It's a bear. It's pictured as a bear. That means it's powerful. What did it, it raised itself up on one side. What does that speak of? Probably speaks of the ascendancy of Persia over... Media. What is Persia called today? 
three ribs in its mouth. What does that speak of? Probably the conquest of three kingdoms. Maybe Medea, maybe Persia, maybe Babylon, maybe Lydia up in Asia Minor. Three kingdoms. The conquest of three kingdoms. And he says it uh, had, um, had thus said, rise and devour much flesh. Probably thinking of its, uh, of its uh, uh, the Persian aptitude for consuming all that it took. Now we come to the third beast, verse 6. The third beast. After this I beheld, and lo, another, a third beast, like a leopard, which had upon its back four wings of a fowl. And the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given unto it. Now here's the, here's the, here's the third beast. And the third beast obviously represents Greeks. It's a leopard. What marks a leopard? Swiftness. Had four wings. Swiftness. When you read, and I'm sure you have the story of Alexander's conquest, it's almost breathtaking. You know, his father was Philip of Macedon, and uh, his father united um, the Greek city-states and handed it over to Alexander. And when Alexander came to the throne, a young fella in his 20s came to the throne, he'd, one thing that stood in the mind of the Greeks was to, uh, to get revenge for what the Persians had done to him in about 480 B.C. In 480 B.C., Persia had marched from its land, Persia, all across Asia Minor, across the Hellespont, down into Greece, and devastated the land. That's the Battle of Salamis Bay and the, the great battle of the, of the uh, Pass of Thermopylae, and almost destroyed Greece. From that time on, that rankled in the minds of the Greeks. They wanted revenge. Matter of fact, that battle goes between Esther chapter 1 and Esther chapter 2. So Alexander uh, uh, took over the kingdom which his father gave to him. He instituted new military procedure. He was the first man in a real sense to take with him uh, an uh, uh, army corps of engineers. And uh, he developed new techniques of fighting. He marched across without very, well, in about two years, he marched across a, what we call today Turkey, Asia Minor. And in about three decisive battles conquered that. Then he came down through Syria, came down to a place on the seaside. Do we need to turn that or you turn it? You turn it. We look out on the seaside and you can see a little island over there, about two miles out, called Tyre, Tyre. They boasted that nobody had ever taken it. It was located in an island, self-sufficient, with a wall around it. Nobody could ever take it. It was impregnable. But Alexander the Great had his Army Corps of Engineers. So he laid down stones. They picked up stones and began to lay them out. And they laid out a causeway across that thing two miles. And they walked across that causeway, battered down the walls, and as the prophecy of Isaiah says, they scraped it flat. They devastated it. Alexander did. And about <laughs> 25 years ago, an agnostic, an atheist in the city of Memphis, Tennessee, who was challenged to read the Bible for himself, began to read the Bible for himself, to find mistakes in the Bible. And the first one he looked for was that prophecy, and to his chagrin and dismay, he found that that prophecy was accurately fulfilled. 
So he began to look for a second one, and it was fulfilled, and a third one. And within about two years, a man who was later on our board, Major Thomas Allen, came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And he was opened up by looking at that prophecy of Alexander's conquest of Tyre. Marched down to Jerusalem, came on down south, they opened up their arms. High priests went out and welcomed him. Went across to Greece and uh, conquered Greeks and uh, established the city of Alexandria down in Egypt. The greatest university center and the greatest library was in Alexandria in the days of Jesus and Paul. The last ruler was Cleopatra or Cleopatra, the last Greek ruler of Greece. Then he came back up, went down the Mesopotamian, that fertile crescent, down through up northern Mesopotamia, down through Babylon, down east, southeast to Persia, and devastated Persia. Well, at least took tribute of Persia. Then moved east to the Indus Valley. And when he got to the Indus Valley, his soldiers revolted. They ain't going to go any further. They said, we're not going any further. We want to go home. So they had to turn back. And on the way home, Alexander was about 32 years of age by that time and drank heavily, was virtually an alcoholic, contracted a serious fever, and died on the way home. But the conquest was tremendous. And the whole purpose of Alexander's conquest was not simply to conquer the territory, but to Hellenize the territory, to, uh, to impose on conquered territory the Greek culture and language. And when you come to the New Testament, you find that conflict through the book of Acts and through the Gospels, and especially the Acts, between the Palestinian Jews and the Hellenistic Jews in the land of Palestine. Swift, swift. His conquest was swift. Notice the beast also had four heads. Four heads. Look over at Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. Verse 21. Daniel 8, 21. Daniel 8, 20. The ram which thou sawest having two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Verse 21. And the rough goat. And look at verse 5. This, look at verse 4. Go back while we're on it. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. Now, who is that ram? Verse 20. Who is it? Medo-Persia got the interpretation verse 5 and as I was looking at this behold in my vision behold a he goat came from the west from the west that's from Greece to Persia from the west over the face of the whole earth and that he traveled so fast did this did this goat Alexander the Great he traveled so fast that his feet did not do what touch the ground and the goat had a what Notable horn. Now, that's not the horn of Daniel 7. This horn is Alexander the Great between his eyes. And he came to the ram with two horns, which I'd seen, and he destroyed him. Verse 8, therefore the he-goat grew very great. When he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now, you skip over to verse 22. Now, that being broken, the horn, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms, shall stand up out of the nation of Greece, but not in his power. Now, what happened? Will you look here? When Alexander the Great died, 
In 333, uh, 323 B.C., he had, uh, he had willed that his empire be divided up. So they did so. And they divide up to four parts. This is a record of history. The Bible predicts it. The Bible predicts it. Now, the liberals say, no, that's written, Daniel written 165 B.C., that's only history. But we believe the book of Daniel was written in the 6th century B.C. The Bible predicts it. Just as the Bible predicts it, history confirms it. When Alexander died, his four generals took over the four parts of the empire. One of them took uh, Greece and, and west of that road. Another part took what we would call Asia Minor. A third one took Egypt. And a fourth one took that fertile crescent, Syria and on down to Iran, Persia. The one, and, and Palestine was in between. The one that took Syria and the fertile crescent was called um, General Seleucids. General Seleucids. His father was named Antiochus. And he named 13 cities in the Greco-Roman Empire after his daddy Antiochus. That's why we have in the Bible two Antiochs named after General Seleucus' daddy, Antiochus. Down in Egypt, the general that took over Egypt was called General Ptolemy, and the last of the Ptolemies was Cleopatra, or Cleopatra. And the story of, of the Jew of Israel for about 300 years is a story of the tug of war of these two nations to control Palestine. Palestine, the Jew, became a political football between these two nations until the days that the Romans marched in in about 66 B.C. and put an end to that thing and uh, conquer that territory. Well, it was divided into four sections just as the Bible predicts. Now, Daniel chapter 7, verse 6, we come to the we come to the uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. We come to the fourth beast. But after this, the night visions, behold, the fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, had great iron teeth, devoured and broken pieces, and stamped the residue, that's the rest of these four, three beasts, the residue in pieces. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, period. And it had ten horns, period. And I, I was considering those ten horns. Now, what are those ten horns? Well, look at verse 24. You got the interpretation. So you don't have to use your imagination. What are those ten horns? They're ten kings. A horn speaks of a ruler, a power. So the ten horns are ten kings. And I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another little horn before which there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn, this horn, this little horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man. He's a man. And a mouth speaking great things. Great things. That is, as we learn later, he speaks blasphemy against God. Look at verse 25. And he shall speak great words, blasphemy, against the Most High, a mouth speaking great things. So here's the fourth one, the, the, uh, the kingdom of iron, and that's Rome. Now, the three stages in this, 
If we can find a clean piece here, three stages. Number one is the beast stage. Number two is the ten horn stage, which is part of the beast stage. And then is the little horn, for abbreviation, I'll call it the LH, little horn. Three stages. Three stages. All right, now let's look at this just about a minute, and that's uh, for about 10 minutes, and that's going to probably be as far as we can get, and we'll have to leave the interpretation till next time. Here's the vision of these, um, of these three beasts, three beasts uh, uh, of the beast, the indescribable beast. Now, look at that indescribable beast here. Here's the fourth beast. The fourth beast. We believe that the beast is Rome. History confirms it. Only one empire, its qualities. It's always been the interpretation of the church until the, really the 19th century that men didn't like the idea of predictive prophecy, so they made Rome to be equivalent to Greece. But all conservatives, premillennial, postmillennial, all, all Bible believers interpret the fourth beast to be Rome. Now, there are three stages in this fourth empire. Are you with me? I kind of see some eyes glazing a little. <laughs> Now, you're going to have to think, see, we're into something that's a little difficult. There are three stages, three stages. The first is the stage of the beast. Terrible, awesome, destructive. I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible and strong, powerful. Very good description of Rome. And it was ferocious, destructive, destructive. Strong and steely. It had great iron teeth, which speaks of destructiveness devoured in broken pieces, and stamped the remainder with his feet. It was destructive. And of all the four empires, Rome was most destructive. You remember, was it Cato in the Roman Senate? That every time he got up to make a speech in the Roman Senate, he called for the destruction of the great city in North Africa called Carthage. Carthago asked the lend is it? Let Carthage be destroyed. 146, Rome destroyed the great city of North Africa, Carthage. In about the same year, Rome also destroyed the city of Corinth, the city to which the epistles of 1st and 2nd Corinthians are written. And that city had to be rebuilt about 100 years later. Rome was very destructive. Mop out and raise a city without, without any qualms whatsoever. Ferocious, great iron tree, it ground down and destroyed the thing. A very, uh, a very uh, accurate picture of the policy and the uh, activities of Rome. And it was different from the other beasts. That's the first stage, the Roman stage. Now, what is the end of verse, verse, uh, verse 7? What are the last six words? Yeah, now, can I anticipate myself? What is the word before the word and in your Bible? It. And then you, after the it, what do you got between it and and in your Bible? You got a comma, a semicolon in your Bible? Now look real carefully. You've got to look real carefully. Now you're going to see something else. See? Are you looking? You know what you see there? About 2,000 years of history, see? All this present age goes there. See, the beast has already come up, at least in its initial form. Rome came up, Rome ruled, but never have we seen this ten horn form. Now let's look at these ten horns. Look at them very carefully. The ten horns, what do they represent? Verse 24 makes it clear. What do those ten horns represent? 
What do they represent? Ten kings or ten kingdoms. So we don't have to wonder what they represent. Interpretation is given to us. Represent ten kingdoms or ten kings. Now, will you look here? The, this is critical. These ten horns are contemporary. These ten kingdoms are contemporary. Now, that's crucial. Those who believe that this has already been fulfilled say that these ten horns are not contemporary. Two of them may have been at one time, two of them another time, two of them another time, two of them another time. Most men simply say, well, these are symbolic. But he gives us the interpretation, verse 23, they're ten kings. He interprets the symbol, ten kings, and they are contemporary. Now, I have a tremendous admiration for Mr. Uh, E.J. Uh, e. Young. He's written several books. I've used them as textbooks here at Mid-South Bible College. He's also written a book on Daniel. Mr. Young is an all-millennialist. When he comes to this, he has a hard time with this, as all, all males do. The Lutheran scholar Leupold has a hard time. They tend to say, well, these ten horns represent, here were a couple of kings in the 3rd century A.D. and a couple of kings in the 5th century A.D. and a couple of small kingdoms in the 8th century A.D. They have a hard time identifying these. In fact, they tend not to identify them. But my friend, these are ten kings, that's told us. They are contemporary. How do you know they are contemporary? That's the critical point. How do you know? Well, I know it for two or three reasons. First of all, when the little horn comes on the scene, well, first of all, I know it because they all come up at the same time. Ten horns, they come up at the same time. Secondly, I know it, because when the little horn comes up on the scene, and he's a man, the Antichrist, that would only cover about, what, 70, 80 years, the most? First thing he does is to destroy what? Three of them. Well, if he destroys three of them, three of them have got to be contemporary, you see. More than that, Daniel 7 teaches us in two or three places that when the Son of Man comes, he destroys these ten kingdoms. That means that these ten kingdoms must be in existence. It means two things. Those ten kingdoms must be in existence when the Son of Man comes. And it means also that if they're in existence when the Son of Man comes, that they are, what's the word I'm searching for? What? Contemporary. They're all at the same time. And furthermore, they are contemporary, these ten horns are contemporary with the little horn. They exist at the same time. Now, the question I have to ask is, are you following me here? What's the key word? What is it? I, may I ask you all to say it, what's the key word? <laughs> you know why I'm asking you to say that? Because you get a, a, any textbook on Roman history you will never find any time when there were ten kings ruling like this. Never. And you won't find a time when an outstanding man came along and conquered three of these ten kingdoms. You can search the history books in vain. You won't find it. Neither we must say, well, it made a mistake here, or it doesn't mean what it says. But the problem with that doesn't mean what it says is that Daniel not only gives the vision, he also gives the interpretation. 
Now, if it did not, we can't find it from 66 B.C. up until 1978 B.C. We can't find it anywhere. And if biblical prophecy is going to be fulfilled, then what's our conclusion? It lies in the future. See? And these ten kingdoms, which are elaborated on in Revelation chapter 13 and in Daniel chapter 12, and the little horn in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 represent the final stage of Gentile world power when the kingdom of the Antichrist will be in existence. No time in history have there been this. Now, the third stage is the little horn stage. The little horn. He's a man. We know that because he's got, look at verse, the little horn. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before which there were three of the first horns picked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking great things. So here's the little horn. Well, now, what is he? The eyes like the eyes. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. He's a blasphemer. He's against God. Verse 24, um, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings who shall rise, and those shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse in the first, and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change the times and the laws, and so on down the line, and he shall give it unto hand, hand until a time one, times two, and the dividing of time, three and a half, three and a half years. The judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion. Now, let me read two passages that will be through. Here's the man. He's called, we call him the Antichrist. Mr. E.J. Young calls him the Antichrist. He looks for him. He says, this man's in the future. Here's the Antichrist. All premillennialists identify this man with the Antichrist or the man of sin or the beast out of the sea. Now, I'd like to read two passages that describe this man. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This man is living when the Son of Man comes from heaven. And his description is given in several places, but probably 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation 13. Let's read these two passages. And then one verse from Revelation 19, and we'll be through. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we uh, read verse... Uh, Verse 2, now, we beseech you, brethren, verse 1, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters from us, the day of the Lord is present. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of the Lord, shall not come, except there come the falling away first, and that man of sin, that's his name there. He goes by about 35 names in the Bible. He's called the little horn in Daniel 7, he's called the man of sin here. That man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, the rebuilt temple of God, showing himself that he's God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know what restrains that this man of sin might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now hinders will or restrain, he who now restrains, 
will continue to restrain until he be taken out of the way. Now, I believe that's the Holy Spirit working through the church. When he's taken away, I believe that's a reference to the rapture. Now, that's my view. Then shall that wicked, well, here's another name, the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy the brightness of his coming. Even that man whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness and righteous, and so on down the line. That's a description of the man of sin, the little horn of Daniel 7. Now turn with me to Revelation 13. Revelation chapter 13. You remember Daniel chapter 7 that he was to rule for time, times, and a half a time. Now that's given to us in the book of Revelation. And so that we would not tend to symbolize it or allegorize it, it's given to us under three different, uh, different ways. All right, that, that, Revelation 11, verse 2. But the court which is the outside the temple, leave out and measure not. Daniel, uh, Revelation 11, 2. Now let's look at this. The court uh, uh, outside, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the nations and the holy city, Jerusalem, shall they tread underfoot how long? What is 42 months? Three and a half years, time, times and a half a time. 42 months. Now look uh, also at Daniel chapter, uh, Revelation, pardon me. Let me see if I can pick it up. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 6, Revelation 12, 6. And the woman fled the wilderness where she has place prepared by God. They, they should feed her there. The woman is Israel. How long? A thousand, 260 days. 1260 days. What is that? 42 months, time, times, and a half a time. Skip on down to uh, verse uh, chapter 13. Chapter 13, and I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horn ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. Remember Daniel 7? He had a mouth that spoke great things. Verse 2, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth. He had all the power of those three preceding kingdoms. And the dragon, the devil, gave him, this is the Antichrist, a man. This is not the kingdom here. Gave him his power and his throne, his great authority. And I saw one of the heads as though it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. He's called the beast here, the first beast. The second beast is verses 11 to 18. And they worshiped the dragon who gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, was able to make war with him. And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. And power was given unto him to continue how long? Forty-two months, time, times and half a time. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name as tabernacle, and then that dwelt in heaven. And was given unto him to make war with the saints to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear to hear, let him hear. Revelation 19 will be through. That's the beast. That's the man of sin. That's the 
little horn of Daniel 7. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Righteousness he judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were crowned. Now, this is the Lord Jesus here. Verse 16. And on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heavens, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. This is the end of the tribulation, the great campaign of Armageddon. Come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Now, that's not the millennial feast. This is a supper of judgment. That you may eat the flesh of the kings, flesh of captains, flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses, them that sit on them, flesh of all men, both free and enslaved, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the beast, a man, the little horn of Daniel 7, the Antichrist, the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians 2. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, those ten horns, those ten kings, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he received them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped him. These both, the beast, the false prophet, were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone and fire. They're finally judged. Daniel speaks of that. Now, we got halfway through. I thought we'd get the whole way through uh, idealistically. Practically, I said, we'll probably get halfway through. Now, do you want to learn the rest of it? Well, then you'll have to come next time. Now, you want to turn that off, uh, Mr. Campbell? Let me make about...